So you're going to want to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalms 56 and 57. We're going to look at both of these Psalms. If you have already started the Psalms uh, reading plan, uh, this is your Friday reading, uh, this last Friday, uh, at the beginning of our series. If you haven't, I'm going to give you a cheat sheet, and you're going to get through the first two Psalms with us, um, and I'll get you on your way. So Psalms 56 and 57 is where we're going to be. Um, I am a student of history. I love history. I'm the weird one. Um, and I love looking at context and seeing when things were written, why they were written, what was going on, how it affected people. I think that's so fascinating to see. And so as you look to Psalms 56, I'm going to direct your attention to before verse one. It's the little bitty words for the choir director, according to a silent dove far away, a victim of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. So when I began to realize I was going to be preaching from Psalms 56 and 57, I wanted to get the context of when David wrote this psalm. And the best way that we can do that is we can flip back over to 1 Samuel, starting in chapter 19 and going through chapter 24 and seeing everything that was going on in the life of David before he wrote this Psalm 56 and then before he wrote Psalm 57, what actually was transpiring. So can I quickly, just like a machine gun, just shoot through a lot of facts to you just so that you know what's going on in David's life. In chapter 19 of 1 Samuel, Saul tries to kill David two times. Then Jonathan uh, goes and talks to his dad and Saul tells Jonathan that he will not harm David, even though he's tried to kill him twice. Jonathan then tells David his dad, King Saul, will not harm him in chapter 20. David is not so sure of that and asks Jonathan to get confirmation of this. So Jonathan goes to a feast David was supposed to be at. David doesn't show up. Saul gets mad. Saul gets so angry, he threatens his own son, Jonathan, um, and throws a spear at him. So Jonathan realizes, oops, my dad's pretty mad. David, you're not safe. So he runs and goes and tells David what's going on. David flees to Nob, what a name, a town, and that's where all the priests are. So all the priests have moved to the city of Nob and he goes to find refuge there. While he's there, uh, the men that have, that have gathered with him um, have run out of things to eat and he eats sacred bread of the presence because there was no other food available. The priest give him a sword because he said, hey, I don't have any, any sword. I need something to protect myself. And so they give him the sword of Goliath. And so David decides to leave uh, Nob and to flee to Gath, a city that he thought there's no way Saul would ever go to Gath to see him because Gath was the hometown of Goliath. So in walks David into the city of Gath with Goliath's sword and thinks he's going to blend in and the Philistines aren't going to do anything. 
and he was mistaken. And the Philistines saw him and they said, hey, isn't that David? Isn't that the one that they sing? Saul kills his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And they got pretty shooken up when they saw that the sword David was carrying was Goliath's sword. And so they seized him. And David realized this was probably not my best plan ever. And so he begins to act like he's crazy and starts writing on the walls of, uh, and the doorways in the town, starts drooling and lets the drool fall on his beard so he looks like a crazy man. And when the, the soldiers present him to the king of Gath, Asheth, and, and Asheth sees that this man is crazy, he goes, I have enough crazy people. Why are you bringing me one more? And so they let him go. This is the context of where this psalm comes from. In the midst of David being thrown out into exile, fleeing, worrying. Is someone going to kill him? He's not safe with Saul. Saul has brought spies out. They were there in Nob. That's why he had to leave. And he went to Gath. And the Philistines are out to get him too. He is not safe anywhere. And in that context, he writes this psalm. Will you read it with me? Be gracious to me, God, for a man is trampling me. He fights and oppresses me all day long. My adversaries trample me all the day, for many arrogantly fight against me. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? They twist my words all day long. All their thoughts against me are evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps while they wait to take my life. Will they escape in spite of such sin? God bring down the nations in wrath. You yourself have recorded my wanderings. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will retreat on the day when I call. This I know, God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mere humans do to me? I'm obligated by vows to you, God. I will take my thank offerings to you, for you rescued me from death even my feet from stumbling to walk before God in the light of life. I think we really have to look at this psalm in context and think about what David was feeling and experiencing for us to really understand and grapple with what this psalm is helping us with. Otherwise, we may we may read this as just a real beautiful way of saying, I'm going to trust God when I'm in trouble. 
Now, my mom actually made me, she's here today. She actually made me memorize the verse, when I'm afraid I will trust in thee. Every time that there was a bad storm and I ran in and woke her up in the middle of the night, scared, she said, what did God's word say? I said, when I'm afraid I will trust in thee. She says, get back to bed. I went back to bed. I didn't believe it. But I kept repeating it over and over and over again. When I'm afraid, I'll trust in thee. When I'm afraid, I'll trust in thee. And it finally clicked. Finally, the words that mom taught me, helped me memorized, became true. That when I'm afraid, I will trust in God. But it, it took time to get there. That's what I'm wanting us to think through today. That when Paul, when, when Saul was going after David and David felt his life was on the brink of destruction, he didn't flippantly say, but God, you've got it. If we read this passage, we can see and hear a man who is waging war in his mind, trying to remind himself of God's promises. Let me show you what I mean. Let's look at verse three through five again. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you in God whose word I praise in God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? At the end of that, we think, God, you're in control. What can man do? Nothing. I'm good. What's the next verse? He starts listing all the things that men are doing to him and freaking him out, right? They stir up strife. They twist my words. They, they have evil thoughts against me. They lurk. They watch my steps. They're waiting to take my life. He's scared. I know, God, that I can trust in you. When I'm afraid, I'll trust in you. What can man do to me? But let me tell you what they're doing. And it's freaking me out. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had those kind of prayers? Lord, I know you've got me, but let me tell you what's going on here. Like he doesn't know, right? And so we see this tension with David. And that's why I think he repeats it in verse 10. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can humans do to me? He's reminding himself, he's telling himself over and over again, I can trust God, I can trust God, I can trust God. Because everything that's going on is contrary to that. He is feeling threatened. He's feeling alone. He's in exile. He's been anointed as king, but he has no kingdom. He's waiting for Saul's kingdom to end so his can begin. And he is sitting there on the precipice of, I know this is what God has promised, but it looks like I'm about to die. Have you ever been there? Have you ever wondered, God, are you really there? In the middle of everything that's going on, do you see me? Are you aware of my struggle? And that's why I love verse eight. You yourself have recorded my wanderings. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? God knows every tear I cry. It says here that he keeps them in a bottle. 
that he knows my wanderings and knows my difficulties. He promises never to leave us or forsake us. He promised to walk with us even in the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil because you're there. And so in the middle of our battle of the mind, God, are you really here? Is it, are you really going to come through for me? What encourages us is that he has recorded everything that has transpired. He's put him in a book. What a gift that is when the days seem dark. Let's continue. So here in Psalms 56, we see David struggling, knowing that he should trust God, but struggling with the truth that's all around him. And then we get to Psalms 57. Now, many scholars look at these two Psalms and call them the twin Psalms. If you see um, at the beginning, there's some titles and title for 56 is a call for God's protection. Title 57 is praise for God's protection. So you kind of see, hey, there was a call for it. Help me, Lord. And then now we've got a praise. He's given it, right? And so what is happening before Psalms 57? Where are we in the life of David? So let's read, if you will, the very top part before verse one. For the choir director, do not destroy. That's the name of the, the song that he wants this Psalms to be sung to. This is from David. We see that when he fled before Saul into the cave. So what happens between Gath, when he escapes Gath, and when he is in the cave hiding from Saul. Well, right after Gath, he flees to Moab and he uh, takes his parents with him so they can be protected. You may be asking, why Moab? Why would he go there? Well, that's where his great-grandmother is from. You know her. Her name's Ruth. And when Naomi and her husband went to Moab, they married uh, uh, her three sons married, um, some Moabite women and two of them, Ophir and, um, and Ruth, when all of the, all the men died, Naomi was going back to, back to her homeland, back to Israel. And the girls said, we're going to go with you. The daughter-in-law says, we're going to go with you. And she says, no, y'all don't need to do that. And so one said, okay, I'm going to go back to my family. But Ruth went. And Ruth went back to Israel and actually married Boaz. And it's from that line that David comes. And that's very significant for verse 1 of Psalms 57. But I'm not going to tell you about that yet because I still want to tell you the rest of the timeline. So just put a pin in it. Wait for it. It's coming. All right. 
So David wants to stay in Moab in the desert strongholds because he's gotten his family to the king of Moab. They said, yeah, we'll take care of your, your mom and dad for you and for all of the, all those that are with them. But David felt like he needed to get away so that in case Saul went after him, he could be in the deserts and kind of flee there. Well, there was a prophet of the Lord, Gad, who came to him and said, what are you doing? You don't need to be in, in Moab. You need to go back to Israel. That's where God has called you. Go back there. And so David now leaves Moab, which would have been a lot easier, away from Saul, protected by a king. And now he's back into Israel and having to hide. He's having to be um, in exile and wandering all through this area. He's He's realizing that he's got to be one step in front of the hitmen and one trick ahead of disaster, one skip ahead of doom. There was no rest for him. He was a constant burden of paranoia, looking over his shoulder, aware that someone, anyone, anywhere could be out to get him. Much like King Saul felt. See, we only had one king in Israel, Saul, first one. David lived with Saul, sang songs for him, good friends with Jonathan. He was the only live example of what it looks like to be a king. And Saul was so paranoid And because David was in exile, he was becoming paranoid. What's the difference between the kingdom of Saul and the kingdom of David? At this point, they're going down the same path. And yet, and yet, we get to Psalms 57 And it looks very different from Psalms 56. We see, we see in verse one, something that I want to point out. Be gracious to me, God, be gracious to me. For I take refuge in you. I will seek refuge in the shadow of your wings until danger passes. Do you know why that's significant? Do you know the first time that we ever hear about taking refuge under the shadow of the wing of the Lord? Boaz says that to Ruth. His great-grandmother. And when he is talking about how she has cared for Naomi, he is giving her a blessing And he's saying, may the Lord cover you over the shadow of his wings and protect you. And three generations later, David comes and says, Lord, cover me with the same covering. I need your help. Help me until danger passes. 
That's different from the guy who says, give me the biggest sword you got. That's different from being paranoid and wondering who's coming after me. Seems like maybe there's some major changes in David's heart and mind between Psalms 56 and 57. Let's, let's keep reading. I call to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. You see, David realized that God had called him and anointed him to be king. And so it was God's will that it would happen. And so regardless of all of the difficulty that was coming, he began to trust in God, no matter what. You know, the difference between what was going on in Psalms 56 and Psalms 57, the situation didn't get better, it got worse. You see, Saul was so frustrated and angry with David that he went after him several times. In fact, David was still being loyal and was fighting off the enemies of Israel. And so there was a town and and they were um, under siege from the Philistines. And so David and his men went in to take the town back. But this town was a barred, had a barred gate at the front. And so once they got in, they were trapped inside the town. Saul heard about it and said, this is a perfect time for me to catch David. And so he runs to go and catch David in this great, um, this great military battle of just, we're at the front door, you can't get out. David heard about it and escaped barely. And then Saul was still vigilant and went after David. And so a little while later, he was going through a mountain pass and Saul divided his army to surround him and they were so close. David was fleeing, but it wasn't gonna happen. It was evident that David was gonna be overturned. And a messenger came to Saul and said, hey, guess what? The Philistines, they're attacking again. And so Saul cut off the pursuit of David and went to take care of the Philistines David was protected again. And then, and then, he and his men, 600 men are now hiding in the caves. And Saul is pursuing after them. And Saul goes into a cave, a dark cave. Must have been a big cave because there was a lot of men that were in there that he didn't see. And he went in to go and relieve himself. You know what that means. And as he's doing that, David creeps up and he could have killed him, but he just tears off a piece of his clothing. He could have taken advantage, but he didn't because he knew God's purpose for him and he didn't force it. He waited patiently for God to give him the kingdom. That's, that's a different kind of person. That's a person who's trusting the Lord. You know, that's not the only time that happened. Later, after this psalm was written, after things happened, there was a time that they walked in and they saw the men were sleeping. There was Saul sleeping. He had a spear right next to him. And his men said, David, go in. It would be nothing for us to pick up his own spear and kill him right there where he sleeps. And David said, no, I will not touch God's anointed. That's not a paranoid man worried of what's going to happen. Do you know that seven times in chapter 56, David talks about his enemies 
and how fearful he is about his enemies. There's only 13 verses, half. Half of the verses he talks about his enemies. Do you know how many times he talks about his enemies in chapter 57? Twice. They're not as significant. So what is significant? What is significant in Psalms 57? Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious for I take refuge in you. I will seek refuge in the shadow of your wings until danger passes. I call to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He reaches down from heaven and saves me, challenging the one who tramples me. God sends his faithful love and truth. I'm surrounded by lions. I will lie down among devouring lions, people whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. God be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over the whole earth. They prepared a net for my steps. I was despondent. They dug a pit ahead of me, but they fell into it. My heart is confident, God. My heart is confident. I will sing, I will sing songs of praise. Wake up my soul, wake up harp and lyre. I will wake up the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations for your faithful love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches the clouds. God be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over the whole earth. When God is in control, when he is in complete control of our lives and we trust him and we trust him with everything, it changes how we view the world. We can view the world and say half the time I'm worried about my enemies Half the time, I'm worried about what's going on in the world, in our nation today. Or it's such a small part of my conversation because I want to praise God for what he's done in the middle of it. Do you see the difference, church family? When we trust God and we know he's in control, it allows us not to be paranoid It allows us not to be fearful. It allows us to rest in him and him alone. You know, Psalms 46 says, be still and know that I am God. One translation says, stop striving. Quit trying to work it out. God is in control. He will be exalted among the nations. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. We have to change our mindset. We have to say God is at work and he is sovereign. And we are trusting in his purposes for us. That's what David was trying to do in Psalms 56. He was trying to remind himself of that. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. God is for me. (laughs) He knows what's going on. He knows my wanderings. He sees my tears. What can man do against me? And then we get to Psalms 57 and we realize we can praise God for who he is and what he's done. Did you know that David was in exile for eight years? 
This lesson didn't get learned in a week, a weekend, or a season. This lesson took eight years for it to get into his heart. Let us not be so quick to ask God to get us out of difficulty. Because maybe in difficulty, God is wanting to teach us something so important. That he is more than enough. That we can trust him. That he walks with us every step of the way. That we don't have to force it. We can wait upon the Lord. This is a powerful message today. And it's a message that reminds us that we need to be a church who speaks Jesus over every situation that we're in. We need to be a church that looks back on what God has done. He is our help in ages past and he's our hope for years to come. We need to look and say, God, whatever the situation is, we put our trust in you and you alone. It takes time for us to really let that sink in. Maybe you're like me when I was a little kid, running to your parent and going, I'm scared. And they throw a Bible verse at you and you go, what good did that do? But the more you repeat it, and the more you see how God is worthy of our trust, the more it changes how we do things. David could have been a paranoid king, but instead when Saul and, and Jonathan died and there was a civil war, of course, that happened, it was fairly short, only two years of a civil war and there was no one left except for one that was left in Saul's family, Mephibosheth. He was crippled. And David asked, hey, is there anybody in Saul's family that's left? And they said, yes, there is one son of Jonathan who's crippled. And he says, bring him to me. He will be at my table. The man who sought to kill him for eight years of his life, then two more years of civil war. And David said, Mephibosheth is my son. He will sit with me and my family. That's because he trusted God. And when we trust God, we can do things and love people that no one would have expected it to happen. When we trust God, God gets glory. And that's what Psalm 57 said, that we will praise his name and give him glory. And we will do good things so that others will see him and give him glory as well. And so as we continue to worship today, uh, Summit will be going and be singing a song about speaking Jesus over, over everything. And today we'll hear from the choir in just a second that God is our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Let's continue in a state of prayer as we hear this song.